Today's message was brought to you by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at RBC, and this message was recorded during our regular Sunday morning service times. Pastor Jason is currently in a series he's calling a walk through the book of Acts, Jesus at Work. As we continue in our walk through the book of Acts today, Pastor Jason is in part 55 as he looks at one of the greatest and simplest examples of salvation in the whole Bible. Join us now. Turn to Acts chapter 16. We're starting in verses 25 and going through verse 40 in a sermon that Pastor Jason has entitled, A Jailbreak Witness. Here's Jason. And good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Rancho Baptist Church. Thank you for for choosing to come and share your Sunday with us, to gather together to sing songs of praise and worship to one another and to our great God. And, And what a wonderful thought, huh? That at some point, every tribe, every nation, every language will gather together And sing praises to our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. With one voice, one sound, really with one heart that we will give praise and and adoration to the Lord. And that, that gives me so much joy to even consider, to think about. I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. Especially since it's gotten a little bit colder. That's an added blessing, is it not? And what else I love about this time of year is is that it makes us stop and really think about what we have to be thankful for, does it not? And we spent so many years in in the jungles of Papua New Guinea where where really it was just our family and and maybe our co-workers if they were there with us. And and now we're we're back here in America and we're we're able to enjoy Thanksgiving and and the holidays, Christmas with, with our family. And now our new family, the RBC family, and we are so excited about this afternoon being able to gather together and to sit around the tables. But it's not just about turkey, although I'm excited about turkey. You see, in Papua New Guinea, it costs like $70 for a turkey. No, no, that's not even it. Because then we had to fly the turkey in to our particular tribe, and that was about $3 a kg. And so if we got a 20-pound turkey, yeah, you, you could do the math. We're talking 100 bucks to fly in a turkey. So what we ended up doing was my, my wife is a great cook, and she'd concoct some sort of chicken thing that was like chicken with, with um, yeah, stuffing and all sorts of neat stuff. And one time we actually we, we jumped out of that, and we thought, you know what, we'll, we'll just buy one of these great big Guria pigeons, which is kind of, I don't, it looks like it should be like turkey-like. And well, after cooking it for I don't know how many hours, it still tasted like leather and just really didn't do it. But this week, as I was thinking about all the things to be thankful for, I'm thankful for not only all of you and many of you that that we have gotten to know as as a family, but I'm, I'm thankful for the pastors. I'm thankful for the opportunity to serve alongside with guys that that I not only appreciate as as far as the gifts the Lord has given them and their love for the Word, and their love for God's people. But, but I actually like just hanging out with them and spending time. And, and I've only been here for, you know, like a year and a half, and yet I really look forward to getting together with the guys. And we did that on Monday and Tuesday. We went up to Idlewild for a, a short little stint. In case you were wondering last week, as it said that the, that the office was closed, that, that wasn't so that we'd go play disc golf or, or something like that, although that might have been a bit of a temptation. We, we went up to Idlewild and we spent time in the Word alone together. We spent time worshiping the Lord together. We spent time gathering together and, and talking about the ministries that the Lord has us in. And what we see the Lord doing and, and how we see the Lord guiding us in, in the future as well. And it was just a very, very encouraging time. And, and I, we, we would covet your prayers to, con- to continue praying for us as the pastors and the elders in particular. And then as I, I, as I thought more about Thanksgiving and what I would be thankful for, and even part of our practice as a family, we, we light these little candles 
and we give everybody in the family a candle. And as you, as we go around the table, we say something that we're thankful for, then we blow out the candle. And this morning, if I was going to do that, I would say I'm, I'm thankful for my family. In particular, I'm thankful for the good health of my family. But something as I was considering looking at Acts chapter 16, which you can turn there in your Bibles now if you would like. We, we will be getting to Acts chapter 16 very shortly. But as I was considering this text, I, I was reminded of a, of a vacation that we took shortly after we came to, to RBC here. And, and somebody in, in, in my family suggested that we go to San Fran, that, that we go to San Francisco as a family and spend a couple days there. Now, I don't know what your initial thought would have been when somebody in your family said, let's go to San Francisco. My initial thought was, no, you're crazy. San Francisco is crazy, crazy, crazy. Lots of people, lots of traffic, small little roads. No. But we went there. And, well, it was crazy, crazy, crazy. Lots of people, lots of traffic. But it was so cool to, to spend time as a family and to, and to make these long-lasting memories that, that no doubt we'll remember for, for a very long time. And, and what did we do? Well, we went on the double-decker bus. And that was cool. You got to go all around San Francisco and hear about the different things. And, and well, to be honest, the bummer of the trip was we, we decided to get off someplace for lunch and we missed that particular spot. And then the next stop wasn't for like another two hours or something like that. So we were all ravenous and starving by the time we got off of the, the double-decker bus. And we also went on the cable cars. Maybe you've done that. that. That was also very nice and enjoyable. But I would say that the highlight of the time for me was when we loaded onto this ferry and we got on this big ship and then it took us out to the Golden State Bridge and cruised us all around there. And then it came back to Alcatraz Island. It, it could be the fact, you know, that I'm a surfer, that I love the ocean, and that's why I liked it. But no, I, I think it probably goes back to Clint Eastwood and, 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 and the movie, you know, Escape from Alcatraz that I, that I saw so many years ago. And we didn't actually get off of the ferry onto the island, but, but it reminded me of, of the story of the, right, the Escape from Alcatraz. And as we cruise by the island, as I, as I looked at it, and I thought, and I thought about all the different ideas behind that particular island in that prison, right? That, that it was supposed to be impenetrable. It was supposed to be inescapable. You just, it wouldn't even matter if the guards watched you really or not, because if you tried to swim across, you were going to drown, because the water's like 40 degrees. You're going to freeze. And yet we know the story, right? Probably the, the, the most significant thing about Alcatraz now is the fact that some guys supposedly escaped from it. That, that there was indeed a jailbreak out of Alcatraz. And in 1962, th- three men, actually there was four, right? There was four men that came up with this great plan. And their plan was to, to drill little holes be, behind these little grates in, in the back of their wall that then would lead them to be able to, to go up basically to the roof line. And then they could follow some, some pipes all the way up to the roof and escape. But they recognized that they, it wasn't just the fact that they needed to get out, but they needed a way to get across the, the ocean without drowning and freezing to death. And so that's why this plan took so many years. Because they had to construct all these things they needed to take with them. They needed to, to have a raft. So where would you get a raft when you're in prison? Well, you steal 100 raincoats. I, I don't know how, how they wouldn't know that 100 raincoats were missing, but somehow they, they, they took all these raincoats. And then these guys must have been pretty cluey because they figured out how to put them together and construct a raft. And then they also made life jackets. And then somehow they, they got like an accordion type thing that they could use as, as a pump to fill up the raft with air. But they recognized that they were not going to make it very far because the guards would come by and check on them continually. I believe it was every hour. And so they, they had to construct some sort of way to trick the guards into thinking that they were there. And perhaps you know the story. They came up with these dummies that, that were basically just their, their heads. And one of the guys had a job in the prison cutting hair. And can you believe this? He actually stole hair from, from the different inmates and then used that to, to put on these, these fake heads so that they would look realistic. And do you know what happened? It worked. 
Lo and behold, the night comes for them to escape, and and they and they must have rigged it up with their blankets and this and that to look like their bodies, and then 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 these these fake little heads that that were really dummies with with wannabe hair that was real hair. And and so then that part of the plan worked. And they escape. And as the guards come by every hour that night, they think that they're sleeping. And so then they make it all the way out. And then they have to fill up the the raft. They get in their raft. And and the one guy, the fourth man, wasn't able to go because apparently he was trying to hide where where the hole was in the back. and, And when he used some sort of glue to hide it from the guards, the glue settled so much that he couldn't open it. And so he had done all the work with them, but he couldn't go with them. And he ends up kind of being the guy that that told them all that was part of their plan for escaping. So apparently these guys then get on the raft and they had made makeshift paddles. And they make make it all their way to the land, which was like a, a, a mile and a quarter or something like that. And then when they finally make it there, then then everything turns into a great big mystery. In fact, this whole jailbreak is a mystery. Because you know what happens? They never find the bodies. And even though they escaped in 1962 and they had this great big manhunt, they they couldn't find them. What, What they did find was a couple bags that had their personal belongings in them. They they found a couple of the life jackets and I I think a, a broken paddle or two. But, but no signs of these three guys. And so either it goes one way or the other. Either they did escape or they died. That they drowned. And in 1979, the FBI closed the case. And they, they issued a formal statement that said this. No credible evidence emerged to suggest that the men are still alive. So they just shut down the case. And some believe these guys are, you know, in some South American country still to this day. And the reality is we don't know exactly what happened. But what we're going to see today in the book of Acts is an entirely different jailbreak scenario. We're going to see that that instead of three men, there's two men. That instead of planning something for two long years, it, it didn't seem like Paul and Silas are planning anything. And instead of escaping at night without anybody knowing, we're going to see these men are escorted out by the very men that placed them in the prison. For all to see. So turn with me to Acts chapter 16 as, as we're going to see this morning a, what I have entitled a, a jailbreak witness. A jailbreak witness. And this is where we left Paul and Silas last week, right? As things got pretty bad for Paul and Silas, as the owners of that slave girl got upset with them, and brought them to the chief magistrates, which were, were like the judges. And the judges had them beat and then had them placed in the inner part of the prison, which is not the place you would want to go. It was dark, it was dreary, it was terrible. And yet we know from the way that they responded, they, they responded in a, in a way that just defies all normal understanding. 25 to 40, Acts chapter 16. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and he rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. 
Now when day came, the chief magistrates sent their policemen, saying, Release those men. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The chief magistrates have sent to release you. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into the prison. And now are they sending us away secretly? No, indeed. But let them come themselves and bring us out. The policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates. They were, af- they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and appealed to them. And when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city. They went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that You would take these words that You have written, that You have given us, that You would write them upon our hearts, Lord, that You would make them clear, that You would encourage us with the accounts related to us this morning, that You would allow us to be able to be the kind of witness that You desire us to be the kind of witnesses that we see in the life of Paul and Silas and even this jailer. That You would speak to us through Your Word this morning, that You would set me aside, Lord, and that You would allow Your Holy Spirit to have His way in each of our hearts now. In Jesus' name, Amen. So you will you will notice that, that I've entitled this sermon today, A Jailbreak Witness, and, and yet, I, I must be honest, that, that title is a bit of a, of a misleader, a misnomer. It's, 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 it's a little bit off. Why? Because what we're going to see today is that there is no jailbreak. And it, and it would be sort of like something like this. Okay, so let's say that these three guys at Alcatraz, they, they spend all this time for those two years coming up with this wonderful plan and they and they have the 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 dummy head there, and they have the raft, and and they have the little accordion thing, and then, and then they, they they have everything that they need: the paddles, the life jackets, and 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 they've already dug out the hole, and all they have to do is open that up, and boom, they're gone. And as they're just getting ready, and they and they recognize, okay, it's 10 p.m. The guard just went by. Let's do this right now. Instead, one of the guys says, "Hey, guys, you know what? Never mind." I know we've been working at this and, and, and this and that, but you know what? We're here rightfully so. So, so you know what? Let, let's just stay. Let's just go ahead and not do this. And then the other guys are, oh, sure, of course. Yeah, you know what? That's a good idea. We're going to stay here. And we're just going to keep staying on the rock for this next so many years. That, that wouldn't make any sense, right? And yet what we're going to see this morning, to a certain extent, that is exactly what happens. Because as we will see, when the Lord does what He does, and when He has this powerful witness of sending this earthquake, and, and all of the chains come off, instead of leaving, instead of fleeing, instead of running away, instead of having this major jailbreak, everybody stays. And, and why is that? Why does everybody stay? Because of the witness of Paul. Because of the witness of Silas. Because that is not what the Lord desired with the earthquake. The earthquake wasn't so much for the deliverance. In fact, it wasn't for the deliverance of Paul and Silas as it was for the deliverance, as we will see, of this jailer. This is all the Lord's working in order to allow this jailer to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to respond. That's what this is all about in some miraculous way. And that's what we're going to see this morning. And as we look at these verses, I, I want all of us to ask ourselves this question this morning and be thinking about this as we're going through, the, through these, these verses. And, and this question is this. Okay, so we are going to see the witness of Paul and Silas, the witness of this jailer. And my question for us this morning is, what kind of witness will you be during this next week of Thanksgiving and then on to the Christmas season? What kind of witness will you be? 
What we're going to see this morning is that Paul and Silas, they're, they're not only a powerful witness, as we'll see first, but, but they're also a timely witness. They're there right at the right time. And then they're a gospel witness. They give the gospel. And finally, they are a loving witness. And that is what will be portrayed for us as we work our way through this Scripture. And what an encouragement this is to know that the Lord goes before us because it's not just about the witness of Paul and Silas because things happen here that are well beyond their power and what they could accomplish and what they can do. And that is the same thing when we are a witness for the Lord. You can't change someone's heart. You can't allow them after talking to them so many times about the Lord to just boop, allow that light bulb to go on. That is what the Lord does. And we're going to see that this morning. And the first thing that we see is this, a powerful witness. Look at verses 25 and 26. And we looked at some of this last week as we were closing and wrapping up. And it's so significant about the way that Paul and Silas respond in the prison. Why? Because it is so entirely unexpected. It is so entirely uncommon. It is so entirely unnatural. This isn't the way that you and I would respond in this situation normally. Nobody would respond like this. They're beaten with rods. They're, you know, they're, they're shamed. They're put in this terrible part of the prison. And yet, what, what do they do? We see them about midnight. They're praying and they're praising the Lord. They're giving praise to Him. Does that make any sense? No. What, what would make sense is the way that I would respond. Which would be something, maybe, well, you know what? I don't deserve this. Right? I, I actually deserve to, 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 to be comfortable. To be happy. And, and Lord, why, why would you bring this to us? And, and yet that isn't the way that they respond. Paul doesn't then say to, Silas, say to Silas, Hey buddy, you know what? This is lame. Really, I, I've had it. We deserve to be so much more comfortable than this. Hey, when we're out of here, let's just call this whole missionary thing done. And, and let's get easier jobs and let's do something else. Or, or maybe you, you think, okay, they, they put on some sort of theological hat and, and, and then they would look at, at Philippi and they'd say, well, I guess Philippi has nobody here that are the elect. So I'm going to leave. No, no, they don't do that. They, they don't do any of those things. Instead, they keep their focus upon the Lord. And, and what a good lesson for us. No, no matter what kind of crazy situation that we find ourselves in, we, we need to keep our focus on the Lord and our feet moving forward. And yet that is so difficult to do at times, is it not? Just this last week, one of my children got, got really sick. And we thought that he had malaria. I'm still not certain if he had malaria or not. But just dealing with him with a fever that was over 103 brought back all these memories of, of dealing with our kids when we were in Papua New Guinea with major malaria and, and fevers above 105. Wondering if we're actually going to lose our kids or not. That, that's what that brings back to our memories. And, and, and we kind of map that over this particular situation. And, 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 you know, where was my joy in that? No, what, what I did is I got my focus off of the Lord and onto the circumstance and onto this what could be malaria. And praise the Lord, He's, he's doing better now. But, but this is a good, a good lesson for us. And, and what's even more telling is, is what the Apostle Paul will do later. He'll write the book of Philippians. He'll write a personal letter to this church in Philippi. And do you know what the theme is? The theme is joy. The theme is joy in spite of your circumstances. And, 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 and he recognizes that they recognize that these aren't just words penned on a page from a man who is totally disconnected from them or from any kind of painful circumstances. These are, are life lessons learned with the blood still drying on his body. trapped in a prison that he didn't deserve to be in, in stocks, being tortured. 
And yet, what does he see? He sees that this still can bring him joy. Why? Because his, his eyes aren't on the circumstances. His eyes are on the Lord. What kind of mindset did he have? Turn with me to Romans. Romans chapter 8. And in a verse that, that's very familiar to us. Perhaps familiar to us. This is the mindset that the Apostle Paul had. And I believe that this mindset goes back probably to this time. And, and maybe even Paul was telling Silas some of these things to get both of their eyes off of the circumstance onto the Lord. As maybe he said something like this to encourage them both. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. That he would even tell Silas, hey, God is working all things, so even this, Silas, we can trust Him in this. And you know what, Silas? Even if this ends up in our death, it's okay. He has that too. Because look at what he writes in 38 and 39 of Romans chapter 8, the same chapter. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's saying there is nothing that is going to take away the love of God and separate us from that. So no matter what comes, it's okay. And as a result, they can keep their focus on the Lord and as a result, they can do something that seems so superhuman that you and I would look at and say, oh my, you must be kidding. That is a a pie-in-the-sky kind of goal. Is there really anybody this holy, this godly? Is there anybody that can truly respond like this in, in this kind of circumstance? And I would say yes. Because it's not them, it's the Lord working in and through them. And that the very same Holy Spirit that resided in them, you know what? Resides in us. And the very same God that was with them is the very same God that is with us. And the words that that this man Paul would write as God's Word are are the very same words that are with us. that, That can be used by the Holy Spirit to empower us. To allow us to look beyond our circumstances and up to the Lord. And to trust Him. Which is exactly what they were doing. And so they're able somehow to give praise to the Lord because of their focus. Because of their mindset. As depicted in in, in Romans chapter 8. And then as a result, what happens? Well, Well, we see that as they're praising the Lord, notice again that the prisoners were listening to them. This is more the idea the prisoners were overhearing them. Because these, these guys, Paul and Silas, they weren't singing songs so that they could all hear. They weren't singing it to them so that they would listen. This wasn't like some concert, right? This is them praising the Lord. And as they praised the Lord, they overheard them. And as they overhear hear them, I, I just have to believe that they start talking to one another, right? These prisoners. Hey, what are these guys doing? Joe, listen, have you ever heard something like this in here? Where where is this joy coming from? Aren't these the guys that were beaten? Aren't these the guys that are, that are shackled in the inside, the inner part of the prison? What, where is this joy coming from? And all of this is part of the powerful witness. But it goes on even more, right? And the powerful witness is is not just Paul and Silas. And we don't see them praying for some sort of miraculous escape. That's not what they're praying for. Or seeking... We're not told they are giving praise to the Lord. And as a result of that, look at what the Lord does. He sends an earthquake. Suddenly, it's the idea that it's unexpected. This isn't what they were praying for, but this is what the Lord sends. And notice about, about this earthquake, this isn't some sort of natural phenomenon. This isn't some platonic shift happening. This is sent by the Lord and only by the Lord. And as such, this is a different kind of earthquake. Just as these prisoners were different, so this powerful display of our God is a different kind of earthquake. How do I know that? Because look at the text. 
It's totally normal and common for an earthquake to come and just open everybody's chains, right? And for, for doors to just open. Because that's what happens when an earthquake happens. No destruction happens when an earthquake happens. But we don't see anything about the walls caving in and people dying or anything like that. Why? Because that was not the purpose and the intent of the earthquake. The purpose and the intent of the earthquake was to remove their chains. And what's even more amazing is, is look at verse 26. When it says, and everyone's chains were unfastened. Let, let me give you just a little bit of, of, of you know, grammar, okay? When, when we say something and, and, the, and the noun is plural, such as chains, it's not just one chain, it's everyone's chains. Well, then the verb should match. And so the verb should be plural as well. It should be talking about, and all these chains were loosened. But as you look at the Greek, it actually says, and all the one chain was loosened. It's singular. It doesn't make any sense unless the Lord is trying to communicate to us that when these all of these chains were loosened, they unloosened, they loosened as if they were one chain. At the same exact time, boom, all the chains would loosen. And, and, and I believe that this also means the stocks that held Paul and Silas. How could this happen? No doubt everybody's like, what? Wait, did your chain? Yeah, mine too. Wait, yours too. Yeah. Instantaneous at one time. Why? So they could walk away and recognize, hey, this is not any normal occurrence. There is something going on here that is greater and bigger and larger than us. And I wonder what that is. And it was the Lord. And it was Him that unfastened their chains. Because that's how great our God is. And in this, remember, people are always looking at us, aren't they? Do you think that Paul and Silas were really thinking and considering about their witness before the Lord with all these guys? No. I, I don't believe so. I think they were just giving praise and worship to the Lord. And, and, and what a testimony to us. Because the way that the Lord works is He works through His children. He works through His people. And people are watching us. And people are watching us this week. And, and maybe this is part of the witness that the Lord wants to use in order to bring somebody to salvation in Christ. Right now, this week with the interaction that, that we have with those around our dinner table or what have you. But what we are going to see that there's so much more going on than, than the powerful witness that the Lord allows them to be because He puts them in exactly the right place at the right time. As we see next, that, that to they're a timely witness. They're not just a powerful witness. And remember, the Lord is doing things that they could not do. But two, they are a timely witness. If, if Paul didn't get there exactly the right time or say what he says at exactly the right time, you know what happens? This man commits suicide. This man dies. This man does not trust in Christ as his Savior. This man goes to spend an eternity in hell. But because this is, he is a timely witness, that, that isn't the way that things go. Look at verses 27 and 28. When the jailer awoke and saw the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. So, so what's the, the jailer's conclusion? The jailer's conclusion is everybody has bailed. Everybody has escaped. I'm a dead man. Because as being the one in charge of everything, he knew that Rome would have his head. And so rather than waiting for Rome to come after him, he decides, okay, this is logical. What I should then do is end my own life. Suicide. You know what? Many people say that the Bible is not relevant to us today. And yet the reality is that the Bible is totally relevant. It speaks to all of our life situations. And I wish that I had more time to dig into this whole topic of suicide. 
But notice that this is what the Bible talks about. That this man was going to commit suicide. And the Lord steps in when at exactly the right time to give him hope, to speak truth into his life, and to allow him to see, you know what, you're not looking at things correctly. And that's what the Word of God does. It it places us in the position to truly understand what God's purpose and plan is for the suffering that we sometimes find ourselves in, even the depression that we sometimes find ourselves in. And and if you struggle with with things such as suicide or you have questions about such things, please come and talk with with one of us pastors or elders. We'd love to take you to God's Word and, and, and show you where the Word speaks about these things, not just here in the book of Acts. There is hope found in the pages of Scripture. And so we see that that Paul then cries out to this man just at the right time. And he he tells him, no, stop. Think about this. What does he say? He says that that we're all here. Hey, it's not just, you know, just me and Silas being here would, would probably be enough to be an encouragement to him. But he says, no, we're all here. He's speaking on behalf of all the men. He's He's assuming some sort of role, some sort of position of leadership, of authority. What, what's understood is that he's already talked to all the other prisoners. And this is what is totally insane. That, that when everything is ready for them to leave, that they could escape. That this does indeed look like some sort of jailbreak. And that now it is free game for them to all go outside and leave. Somehow Paul stops them. And that he says, no, wait. And they all stay. Why would that be? Perhaps the reason is, is because they recognize that these two men are different than any other men that they've seen in prison. Right? These are are what would be hardened criminals. They've been in prison for a while. They're used to seeing guys come into prison, but they don't usually act the way that Paul and Silas do. In fact, they never act this way. And what were Paul and Silas doing? They were not only being a witness, but I wonder if they were actually talking about God. Praising Him, singing songs that were talking about all that their God had done for them. And as they're speaking about this wonderful God, this God who is greater and bigger than all, as they're singing these songs, what happens? This earthquake happens. And not only does the earthquake happen, but it's miraculous in the way that the earthquake happens because no destruction follows. And and actually, all of their chains come off simultaneously. Yes, I believe that at that point, Paul would have been listened to because they recognize there's someone greater and bigger working here than what they would normally have thought of. And so that the Lord is using this as a witness for them too. For all of these that are then listening to Paul and staying there when they could have left. And wouldn't it have just been normal and natural for them to all leave, including Paul and Silas? And yet we see that what the Lord is doing is greater than just delivering these guys from jail. He has a, a bigger plan in mind. And yet, it, isn't it strange that that this should be the great escape, but nobody escapes. That this should be the, this awesome jailbreak, but nobody breaks free. Everybody stays. And, and then we see what happens next. As Paul tells him, okay, don't harm yourself. Please don't commit suicide. There's a reason for this. We're all still here. And then look at what this man then says in verses 29 to 30. He believes Paul and he called for lights and he rushes in and he trembles with fear and he falls down at Paul and Silas. Why? Because he recognizes who they represent. And then he asks what I believe is the most important question anyone could ever ask. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Not what must I do in order to to be happy which is what so many believe today, Google it. What is the most important question you could ask today? That is it. Every day some would tell you, yes, this is what you need to do in order to make your life great. In order for your life to really matter. 
This is the question. This should be your mantra. Every day you ask yourself, am I happy? And, and yet, that is not what Scripture would teach us. Why? Because that's only thinking about today. There is an eternal perspective that is focused here. He, he's not concerned uh, about the earthquake, about everything that's going around the, around the prison. What is he concerned with? He uses the same terminology that this prison or the, that this slave girl used as the demon spoke out from her, right? As he says this, these men are bond servants of who? Of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She, he uses the same word that that demon was using. He's thinking about salvation from a God that can save him from his sins. As he's seen vividly portrayed before him the power of God. And he knows too, just like all those other prisoners, hey, these guys are different than anybody else that has ever been in my prison. And perhaps this jailer too had actually walked by them, proclaiming the gospel. Maybe he'd heard this slave girl and the demon inside her proclaiming that these guys know the way of salvation. And so now his heart is ready. He is primed. The Lord has has brought him to this point to where, yes, he now understands. Okay, I need to be saved. This isn't just happening for no reason. This is all part of the Lord. And so he asked this very important question, what must I do to be saved? And I wonder as we consider this this morning, that the Lord might be Preparing us for someone that, that is prepared in the same way. But then look at how they respond next. It's not just the fact that it is a, a timely witness. That they're there at the right time. That Paul is there at the right time. But they speak the right words. For someone must hear the Gospel in order to truly be saved. And so they give a Gospel witness as well. Look at verses 31 and, and 32. And notice that it's both of them. It's Paul and Silas responding. As they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. It's not enough for them to just say, hey, be saved, but then just leave it there. They explain what it means to believe in the Lord Jesus. They explain who Jesus is, that he is indeed the Son of God. That He is the Christ, just as John twenty thirty one says. As John before this would, would say, hey, you know what? All the things that Christ did, they're not even written in this book. It, it, only a little bit has been written. And then He says in John twenty thirty one, these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. But it's not just that you believe in who Jesus is, but you must believe in what He has done. And what he has accomplished on the cross. And the apostle Paul will write this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3 to 5, that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what must be believed in order for someone to be saved. And this is the message that Paul and Silas proclaim as they are being a gospel witness to this jailer. But what we are going to see is that it's, it doesn't end there. The, the witness doesn't end just because now he's saved. But we see that, that not only does Paul and Silas continue to be a witness to, to the entire church, but even this jailer becomes a witness. And, and what kind of witness is he? And they, they are a loving witness. Look at verses 33 and 34. As we see what the jailer does immediately after being saved. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds and immediately he, he was baptized. He and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. So, so we see that he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and that his family believes too, and that is the reason why they are saved, not because he believed. It must be an individual choice, an individual profession, belief in Christ. But as a result of this belief in Christ, what does this jailer do? He puts his life on the line. You see, this is not something that a jailer should do, could do, or even would do back then. He, he, he feeds them, which could be punishable right there, just for feeding them, giving them any kind of food. But he, he goes even more than that. He actually takes them from the prison and takes them to his house. This is not something that he should do. But he's being a witness, a loving witness, not only to them, but to all the other prisoners and all the other jailers that would work with him. And then we see that he's also a witness as far as being baptized. And then the final thing that we see is the way that he responds, right? He responds in joy. He recognizes that not only have they, have they saved him from physically harming himself, but they have saved him from perishing. And so as a result, he rejoices in all that the Lord has done for him. But finally, what we see is, is a loving witness is just not on the part of this jailer. But in the final verses, 35 to 40, let me, let me just recap these. We see what, what Paul in particular does as being a loving witness to the body. As the, the jailer no doubt then takes him from his house and, and places Paul back into the prison, Paul and Silas, waiting to see what's going to happen. And the magistrates then send word to the jailer. And they say, hey, let these guys go. We're not told why they decide to let them go. They don't know that they're Roman citizens. They don't know that they did something seriously wrong. But they then send word to this jailer. And think about it. This jailer had to be so excited to tell this to them. And so he comes up to Paul and Silas. And he's like, hey guys, listen. They said that you can leave. So, man, yes, let's go. You go out there and keep telling people about Jesus. This is great. They've opened the door. Come on. Cut. Hey, cut. What? Paul, what, what's up? And Paul's like, no. You see, we're Roman citizens, and they beat us publicly, and they put us, they put us in jail without a trial. Those are two things that are illegal for them to do. If they want to set this right, they need to do this publicly. They need to come here and take us out. And is Paul doing this because he's trying to flaunt his rights as a Roman citizen? No. If that were the case, he could, he could tell them at the end when they implore him and they beg him to leave the city, he could say, no, you can't tell me to leave this city. I'm a Roman citizen. Nobody can tell me to leave this city. But he actually leaves. Why? Because he actually is not trying to uphold himself as, as, you know, some great Roman loyalist. What is he doing all this for? He's doing this to protect the church. Because he recognizes that there could be now a big bullseye on every believer who stands up and proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants to make sure that from here on out, the church is somewhat protected. And so that's why he, he stands up and he says, no, I, I don't want the church to be harmed as a result of what has happened to me. And it's very interesting because what, you know what happens to the believers in Philippi? They actually still come under much persecution. And so there's a certain extent where he can't stop it. But at this point, he tries to allow what's happening to, to not continue on so they will not be harassed and mistreated in the future. And so we see clearly that, that, that they have been a powerful witness. They've, they've been a timely witness. They've been a gospel witness. And, and finally, a, a loving witness. As, as we see in verse 40, that after they finally are escorted out of the prison, it says that they entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. This too is upside down. Everything that we see in this whole scenario is completely backwards. It should be that the church is the one encouraging Paul, right? But instead, he goes after he's just been beaten and everything else, and he encourages them. What a wonderful picture of God's grace. That he goes and he encourages them, and then he leaves them. But notice, too, what is also so cool. Where are they meeting? 
They're meeting at the house of Lydia. This is the, the beginning of the church in Philippi. And I wonder if, if this jailer and his family were there. And they all gathered together and rejoiced in how the Lord had gone before them and how the Lord had saved him and so many of his household. And now that the church in Philippi at the house of Lydia has gone from the size that it was before and, and possibly now it's doubled. All from this witness inside this jail, this jailbreak that actually didn't even happen. I have some points to ponder and you guys can can look at those throughout the week. I, I want to go back to what the, the question that I presented first. And that is, what, what kind of witness are you going to be throughout the rest of the week and throughout the, the Christmas holidays as we have an opportunity to share the love of Christ with others? And let me pray for us in that as we close. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You Thank you for, for this opportunity to, to see in your word the powerful picture of how you save folks, Lord, and how you use us even though we are clearly not the best useful vessels. But your grace is so incredibly awesome, Lord. So use us as we go out from here. Allow us to be reminded of the, of the witness that Paul and Silas were from the prison and allow us to be those kinds of witnesses as we go out from here. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.